Good morning. Sorry, good afternoon. Uh, tricked you all. Um, there's, um, there's a statement made about a character in the Old Testament by God. And this is the statement made. It says this. He is as zealous for my honor as I am. He is as zealous for my honor as I am. Someone's zealousness for God's honor is compared to God's actual zealousness. God says he's got the same jealousy or the same zeal for honoring my name as I have. What a statement. For God to proclaim that over your life, that's what you're like. That's how you'd be remembered. It's captured in Scripture. And it's that person, it's that episode that we're going to look at today and we're going to plow into. And it's actually Phineas, for those who haven't worked out already. Apparently a couple of people in their line 30 had worked out. One, because their child's middle name was Phineas. Yeah, very holy. And one, because they've been studying Phineas this week themselves. But we're in number 25. We're going to start from verse 1, Numbers 25, from verse 1. It says this. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor, or yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, Son of Aaron, the priest, saw this. He left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. For he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I'm making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. We'll leave the story there. Last time I preached, I said to the kids, hey, why don't you draw a picture of your favorite character or your favorite scene from the story that I've just read? I'm not going to recommend that this time. But instead, kids or adults, to help you listen, maybe you want to write down some of the key words that I'm going to mention, because I'm going to repeat lots of words lots of times. Some of them only have three letters. Some of them you will never have heard of before and have no idea to spell how to spell it, and your parents might not either, but just give it your best bash. There may be five or six words, and afterwards, maybe you can take that to your parents and say, can you help me understand this really long word that I can't even spell? Because Ben tried his best, but he didn't quite get there. Or maybe you could take it to your friends and you could chat about it as well and work out, what is God saying to me today? What is God challenging me on? 
So this is the question that I want us to ask of this passage and of Phineas. How do we honor God? How do we honor God? Now there's a a whole raft of answers to that question, loads of different things we could say in answer to that question. We could talk about our worship, an extravagant and heartfelt worship. We can talk about sacrifice and giving things up for God. Look about faith and pleasing God because we believe him. But we're going to look at a very specific thing, really, and what Phineas tells us about this. But before we do, we're going to review the story, make sure we've understood the story, and then we'll get into what we can learn. Okay, so just before we, this episode we read about, the Israelites have just arrived. They're just about to go in the promised land. But before that, um, Balak, a leader of the enemy, had asked Balaam, a kind of prophet, to curse the Israelites. He said, come and curse them so that we'll be, defeat them. But Balaam came and tried to curse the Israelites three times, but couldn't do it because the Lord wouldn't let him. And instead he pronounced blessings. Blessing upon blessing upon God's honored and treasured people. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He wasn't able to do it. But we read in Numbers 31, if we skip on a little bit, we're going backwards in the story, but going forward in, the, in Numbers. Um, so verse 16 of chapter 31 It says that they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor. So a plague struck the Lord's people. In other words, Balaam couldn't curse them and defeat the Israelites that way, but he says to Balak, well, just just lead them astray. Get your your ladies to, to pull the men across and commit idolatry and come and yoke yourself to the Baal of Peor instead. So God's people are led astray. They couldn't be cursed because God was protecting them, but then temptation comes and they give in to it. God's people sin. The sexual immorality and this idolatry, it's rejecting God and saying, we don't want God. God's not good enough for us. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to go to Baal rather than to the one true God. And as we see in verse 3, their sin produces anger. The Lord, Lord's anger burned against them. And this leads to a plague among the people of God. We read that in verse 8 and 9. But punishment is also decreed by God in verses 4, verses 8. The Lord says, take all these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away. This is the low point in the history of Israel, the people of God. And they realize this. They understand this, and suddenly there's a corporate weeping, a repentance, a recognition. And before the tent of meeting, they come and they weep. There's a sense of repentance, a sense of we've got this wrong, we've messed up big time. And it's at that moment, right there and then, that Phineas comes to act. And so we'll just put a bit of spotlight on him for the moment. His his response is somewhat un-British. Because if you or I had been in that situation, we might have observed it and said, we'll go and pray for him. And we'd quietly go away and just say a little prayer, Lord, let him not be led astray. Lead him back. Or maybe, if we're brave enough, we might have had a little chat and said, look, you're not the best idea, let's stop, shall we? Or if we're bold enough, we might have admonished and said, no, Zimri, that's not good, please stop. That is not what Phineas did. Partly because he's under a different covenant, but partly because he was consumed with zeal for God's name. So what's going on? Is he some sort of hot-headed vigilante just reacting to it? Well, as a priest, 
He was actually carrying out God's given judgment. That's what God said should have happened to those who had committed idolatry. And amazingly, this one act does something significant, or do lots of things that are significant. It stops the plague. It says elsewhere that it was going to wipe out the Israelites, but Phineas's one act stops the plague. And also, if we read between the lines, we don't actually see that those who are lined up to be punished were actually punished. And for Phineas himself, God says he has a covenant of peace, an everlasting priesthood. So when we look at Phineas, we look at something significant happening, that this one act from this one man achieves so much. So we've got a lot to learn. We're going to dig into that and pull it apart a little bit and try and find out what it has to say to us about how we honor God, because that's what he was commended for, for honoring God. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to summarize the answer now, make it easy. So this is the point not to switch off, definitely. What does Phineas teach us about honoring God then? He teaches us this, we need to have the right attitude to sin and take the right actions towards sin. If you like, that's a summary of the rest of the message, that we have the right attitude to sin and take the right actions towards sin. But we need to consider all this in the context of God's grace. We need to consider it in the context of God's love and affection. For Phineas, he has a story of God's grace too. When we look at the Old Testament, we can sometimes characterize it by law, but actually it was grace. They were redeemed from Egypt. They were slaves, and God called them out through miraculous signs because he loved them and wanted a treasured possession to be his own, a people to be himself. It wasn't that they were more attractive or more holy. It was simply that God had laid his affection upon them by grace. And as he led them out of slavery, led them into the desert and provided for them, there was water, there was manna. He looked after them like a father looking after their child. It's grace. And also in the desert, they were given the law and the sacrificial system. And we can think law is opposite to grace, but actually the law and the sacrificial system gave them a means of knowing God, of walking with them, because they got it wrong, they sinned. And so sinful people couldn't associate with God, but on, through the sacrificial system, there was a means of knowing God. It was grace. Their sins could be apportioned to a lamb. They could be given to a lamb who then was killed and the blood sprinkled on the altar. And that paid the price temporarily for the sins of the people of Israel so they could continue relating to God, continue being his people. But in this specific episode, we see God's grace at work as well. They had sinned. They had committed a sin that God had clearly said in Exodus 20 should not happen. Idolatry was a sin. To reject God and embrace and worship another God was sinful, deserving of death. He'd been clear. And as we've seen already, sin produces wrath. Sin produces anger. What produces anger in you? Have a little pause to think about that. What events or happenings or things occur that automatically rile you, get your blood boiling? For me, it's when the dishwasher is not stacked properly. (laughs) Some people are feeling that as well. There is a right way 
to stack the dishwasher. There'll be someone in your household who'll know the right way and everyone else will be doing the wrong way. Trust me on this, it's how it works. I'm getting some warm noddies from John on that one. Yeah, <laughs> Louise, just to help your relationship, learn some lessons from John about how to stack the dishwasher, okay. I'm gonna help now, because there are ways. Big plates, bowls at the front, okay, big gaps. Small gaps, small plates at the back. Cutlery, obviously, cutlery tray. If there's space, saucepan at the back, on top of the plates, possibly. Careful with that one. If you've got a decent dishwasher, you can get away with that. <laughs> Extend the cycle if it doesn't work. Make sure there's plenty of salt in as well. Top place, top one, cups. Lots of cups on the top in our household. We've got six people, lots of cups on the top. Here's a little hint for parents. Plastics on top of cups. Plastics on top of cups. Because if you get plastics, they flap around, and they can end up, the bowls can end up that way around. And when you open it in the morning, after it's dry, you open it, the water comes out, everything's wet again. What a nightmare. A whole five minutes of drying up using a dishcloth. No one wants to do that, do they? It gets me angry. I saw on Facebook this week, a person shall remain nameless, that someone got angry because someone else was driving and texting at the same time. And they had to wind down the window and give them a piece of their mind. What are you doing? I don't, I'm not saying they did this. They might go, can you please stop that? But it, it produces, what produces anger in you? There are things that anger us, but the problem is that because we're sinful and not perfect, what gets us angry could be a wrong anger. There could be wrong motives in there. There could be a bit of sin in there. So perhaps me getting angry that the dishwasher's not been stacked properly might not be totally appropriate. I'm just going to put it out there. With God, he is perfect and holy. So when he gets angry... It's righteous anger. It's appropriate anger. And so we need to see this, or look at the fact that sin produces anger. I'm going to demonstrate this, hopefully, better than I did this morning. Right. Matches. So, when we look at sin and how it affects God, there's an automatic reaction. So when sin goes, wrath begins to burn. A sinful act happens, wrath begins to burn, and eventually punishment occurs or pain. So if I hold that long enough, it didn't hurt, it's okay. No one was harmed <laughs> in the filming of that episode. The point is this, not that we all look at the flame and go, ooh, it's pretty. I've been, I spent quite a bit of time just going, why, why does sin produce wrath in God? Why? Why is it that automatic reaction? Why does it, what is it light? Why does it begin to burn? And I can't come up with anything other than this. It's what a holy God does when he's faced with sin. It is an appropriate, totally appropriate reaction to sin. So you light a match, a flame comes, it burns. You sin, it ignites wrath and it begins to burn and it needs to be satisfied. So how does Phineas blow that match out? How does he stop that punishment coming that's been decreed by God already? Well, the words we're given here is that he makes atonement. But that Hebrew word can also be interpreted or translated propitiation. That's the big word, propitiation. And I don't use it for using the sake of using big words. But it's slightly different. Atonement's like making up for and covering over. Propitiation is about that, but also removing wrath and removing anger. 
So an example of this, this is obviously a theoretical example, is that a husband might somehow, some way, anger their wife. I'm, I'm obviously talking theoretically here. And as a means, as a means of setting aside that anger or that wrath, they may purchase some flowers and present it as a gift in order to satisfy that wrath and remove it. Now, husband, word to the wise here, husbands who have done that recently, don't just go out and buy flowers, flowers a day thinking I've been given the solution to that problem because it won't have any validity after this message, okay? Give it a couple of weeks when they've forgotten about it, they go for it then, all right? Or think of something else equal just to set aside that wrath. But you see, it's a very simple example, but that's what Phineas has done. The wrath has determined some punishment, but he sets it aside through a gift, through an act. And the result is that his violent, dramatic act means the plague stops, and those leaders that were lined up to be killed are not killed. It's grace. It's grace at work. I'd like us to use our imagination for a moment, if we may. Now, if you're under the age of 18, or you're probably, maybe under the age of 10, you're using your imagination on a daily basis, how you play. So this bit's going to be really easy for you. For us who are adults who never, ever use our imagination, really, it's going to be a bit hard. This is what I want you to imagine, okay? If it helps, you can close your eyes, but I would ask very humbly that you remain conscious. That'd be helpful. Just imagine... If you had been one of those leaders, one of those people who had committed idolatry, you'd gone and worshipped a false god. You were, you'd known some of the grace of God. You knew who God was, but you rejected him and you pursued and were enticed by the Moabites and went to worship Baal. You know the law. You know the deal. And suddenly you realize you've done wrong and there's punishment decreed. You know it's godly. You know it's right. I need to die. I should die for what I've done. Imagine being in that position, then suddenly you hear this. Phineas has just stuck a javelin through two people, and now you get to go free. God's wrath has been satisfied in a different way. Because of his zealousness for God's name, you can go free. Well, actually, we don't need to use our imagination that much, because that is where we're at. That is actually what we deserve. We deserve to die. You see, we also have sinned. We fall short. And we're just going to spend a bit of time in Romans 3. Verse 23, it says this, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All is a fairly encompassing word, isn't it? Which means that categorically, I can say everyone in this room... This counts to you. This is not a judgment on you. This is just the Bible reading us and knowing what we're like. It says we've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. I think sometimes we, we kind of know that but don't feel that. I think sometimes we know that but don't really know that. We were cleaning our car this week um, in the inside and um, for some reason the whole family was in the car. I can't quite explain why but... We were all in the car, and Jules said, look, there's a smear on the front windscreen. So I got a, a, a wipe out and then went to wipe it. We thought the rest of it was perfectly clear. Little smear, get rid of the smear, lovely. Pulled it off black. And then you realize, that's the only clean bit now. Everything else is completely mucky. So three hours later, 
45 cloths that have gone black. I'm not joking. It was completely black. This is not, we, we keep our cloth fairly clean, but we thought we had a clean windscreen. We thought we were okay. We, we could see through it. It's all right. But it was filthy. And I think sometimes we, get, we know we've sinned and we think we're, we, we think we're a bit like a clean windscreen with a, with a little smear on it. And there's a few things that do wrong. It says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of his standards. We've not just, we've not just got a smear on the windscreen. We're, we're dirty. And as we've read and seen already, this leads to wrath. It leads to wrath. We were by nature objects of wrath. We're told in Ephesians 2. By our very nature, we attract the wrath of God because we are sinful. And Colossians 3.6 just reinforces this, just for us to get it and feel it. Colossians 3.6. Let's go from verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's coming against sin. Sin produces wrath. What do we need? We need atonement. We need propitiation. We need God's wrath to be removed. We need his anger to be taken away. And we know what's coming next, don't we? We know what's going to come next, but I just want us to dwell for a moment and just feel the weight of this. We celebrate, rightly celebrate, all that Jesus has done, but it only means something if we take the time to consider how far short we fall of his glory. It only means something if we know that sin produces wrath. And we can get a bit too casual, a bit too easy, a bit too, I don't know, about sin. Sin produces wrath. That's how God sees it. For the point of this section of the message is this, for us to understand God's grace, the context of grace in which we learn the things we're going to learn. This is the result of Jesus' sacrifice. Romans 3.25 God Let's go from 23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The word sacrifice as an atonement in the ESV and in the King James Version, the word there is propitiation. Sets aside the wrath of God through presenting himself. And this is the glorious, wonderful, amazing, life-changing truth, is that though you and I deserve to experience and suffer the wrath of God justly and rightly, we never will have to ever taste that wrath. If you're in Christ, you're never going to taste the wrath of God because Jesus has tasted it for you. You're never going to have to satisfy that. You'll never be burned up by his anger because Jesus has satisfied that already. God within himself, as Jesus the Son, has satisfied the wrath that came as a result of our sins so that we might know him freely. Jesus is our propitiation. His act on the cross sets aside the wrath of God. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's the grace of God working in history as Phineas knew it and for us 
we see in our lives, and we need to bear this in mind as we move forward. I don't want us to... It says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is not the point of the message, but we are going to consider the seriousness of sin, but it's in the context of grace. So what about this story? What about Phineas now? What does it mean for us? What can we learn about honoring God? What does Phineas teach us? I know what you're thinking. It's time for a numbered list. And you're right. It is time for a numbered list. Number one, it's really obvious. Sin does not honor God. When we look at sin, we see why Phineas was so keen to get rid of it. But it wasn't actually because he was trying to set aside the wrath of God. I don't think that was his motivation. I don't think that was his focus. His focus was God's honor. Now, has anyone in this room had the privilege of wearing school uniform at any point in your life? Yeah? Who's wearing, who wears school uniform five days a week at the moment? <laughs> Julie. <laughs> has your headmaster or headmistress ever said this to you? When you're wearing a school uniform, you are representing the school. Your actions reflect on the school. And we expect you to behave in a way that respects and honors the school. Yeah? Have your headmistress ever said that to you? Or headmaster? Head teacher. We'll do that. It's a bit easier. Head teacher. The point they're saying is this what you do reflects on the school, how you behave reflects on the school. And Phineas knows how it works. He knows that the actions of the Israelites not only reflect on the people of God, but reflect on God. So when sin gets into the people of God, into the Israelites, Phineas is saying, this is bad. This is bringing shame. This is dishonoring God. We need to honor him. And so we learn from him that sin does not honor God. Number two, we need to make sure that we don't set our heart on evil things. So if sin doesn't honor God in terms of the action, we're talking about the motivation here. Now, it doesn't come out clearly from this passage, but if we turn to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul actually here is speaking about the same instance. So we go from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Um, he's talking, he says, now these things occurred as an example. These things are what happened with the people of Israel. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Commentators think that 23,000 is the same as 24, but Paul would have been recording it from memory. And so, really, Paul has in mind this incident that we're looking at today. And he says this, this is what we are to learn from it. Don't set our hearts on evil things. Especially, actually, verse 8, sexual immorality. Paul's saying there's a heart issue involved here. It's not just about our actions, it's about our desires. And Phineas says to us, we, we should have our hearts on loving and honoring God. 
Last night, we had the privilege of having pizza for tea. Joyous, high-quality pizza. Nothing better on a Saturday night, but a pizza. Towards the end of the meal, there was only one piece of pizza left, singular. Not even able to cut it up into smaller slices necessarily. One, one piece of pizza left, I'm looking at the piece of pizza. What am I thinking? I'm thinking I'd like another piece of pizza. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what I want, what I desire. I desire another piece of pizza. I know most of you in the room are thinking I would also desire another piece of pizza. In fact, half of you are thinking I wish I had a piece of pizza now. <laughs> Don't set your heart on evil things. There's a moment there where I'm, I'm just thinking about what I want. And though it's a very small, superficial example, I could use that as an opportunity to honor God by putting others first. I read this in Mark this week. Jesus said, if you want to be great, if you want to be the first, become a slave to all. Put yourself last. If I want to set my heart on honoring God, I'm not going to get my aspirations, my aims, my desires right as well. I don't want to set my heart on evil things, on selfishness, even when it comes to small things. Number three. This is another reference in Revelation, actually, to the same instance. We're going to go to Revelation 2. And this is the lesson we learn here from Phineas and, this, and the Israelites here. Don't be enticed or caught out by sin. Give me a second. Start Revelation is proving fairly elusive. You thought it was fairly easy to find as the last book in the Bible, nothing after it, but no. It's proving challenging today. So this is John having a revelation from God, and this is what Jesus is saying through John to a church. To the angel of the church in Pergamum writes... These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Wow, you're doing a great job. You've been persecuted. One of your number has died, but you're still standing firm. Brilliant. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. What's the point? The point is that we can stand firm through blatant attack sometimes. A full frontal attack. God, something comes at us from life. Something comes at us and we know this is the enemy behind this. We stand up to it strong and firm and say we will not be defeated. Maybe it's uh, illness. Maybe it's someone at work who's really giving you a bad time. You know it's not about them. It's about a battle with, um, not about flesh and blood, but about principalities and powers. But you know it's the enemy attacking you, and you stand up. And you stand firm like the church in Pergamon. They stood up to persecution. Wow! The Israelites, they weren't cursed. God blessed them. They stood up in battles. They stood up against the full frontal attack. But then Balaam taught Balak to entice them through sin. To subtly whisper in their ears, maybe this is a bit better. Maybe we do it this way. 
And maybe you come back from a tough day of work and someone's been horrible to you or the work's been difficult and you feel down, you feel oppressed and you say, no, I'm going to stand on the cross of Christ. I'm going to celebrate what he's done. I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to walk in Christ. And you get home and you flick to the channel that you know you shouldn't do. You fought the battle all day, but then you lose it subtly in the evening. Or maybe at school, kids, maybe someone's been really horrible to you at school and you've gone, no, I'm not going to say anything horrible back. I know that's not a good thing. But then when you get home with your sisters and brothers, maybe you just let it all out on them and begin speaking badly to them instead. We can stand up to when it's really hard. Sometimes we can stand up for God, but then we kind of relax and we get enticed by sin. Number four. Sin needs to be killed. Phineas, as we saw, under the old covenant, slightly different situation, so he was exercising judgment that resulted in them dying. We don't actually need to kill anyone anymore. Hallelujah. But our attitude to sin should be similar. Let's skip back to Colossians again. We go back to the same passage in Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And we have a list of all those things. Put to death, therefore. How do we handle sin? How do we deal with sin? I've got something in my bag here to represent sin. This is Lily's dolly. You can have it in a second. This is what we call scabby dolly. From a distance, it doesn't look too bad. And so we might be tempted to play with it and mess with it and toy with it, but that's not how we handle sin. I'm playing, this is me playing with a dolly, playing with sin. We, we can do that, but actually, what we need to do to this dolly, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to do this, kill it. If this is a representation of sin, our attitude to this scabby dolly is to kill it. Look, sometimes sin can be enticing. She's trying to be cute. Come and play with me. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Our attitude to, be, to sin should be radical. We shouldn't play with it. We shouldn't toy with it. We shouldn't flirt with it. Kill sin. Sin needs to be killed. How do we kill sin? Hard to give a definitive answer because there's so many different situations and I can't obviously speak into all those and you need to work that out perhaps in your core groups this week. A great question to answer. How do we kill sin? But in Proverbs, we're given some a little bit bit of advice when it comes to the adulterous woman. If we turn to Proverbs and verse, to chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. It says this, Now my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So not only does our attitude need to be serious about sin, but the actions we take need to reflect that as well. So he doesn't say, don't sleep with her. He doesn't say, don't flirt with her. He doesn't say, don't talk to her. He doesn't say, don't go in her house. He says, don't go near her door and don't go down her street. So how do we treat sin then? We don't, Dolly's there, I can't do this. We don't get as close as possible to it as we can without actually committing sin. 
we remove ourselves. As much as that is possible, we take ourselves away. Because we're serious about it. Because we're like Phineas and we're not going to take it casually. We know it matters. This message is not meant to make us feel bad because we're sinful. It's meant to stir us. It's meant to help us appreciate all that God has done more in Christ because we know the real nature of sin and how it affects God. But it's also so that we learn how we now behave in sin in the light of what Jesus has done because it still matters. It doesn't impact whether we experience wrath or not. It doesn't impact our future destiny in heaven. But we see it doesn't honor God. We see that we're meant to set our hearts on godly things, not evil things. We see that it's so easy to get enticed and caught out by sin that we're going to be radical and kill sin. Phineas teaches us how to honor God. At its heart, this message is about challenging us. Do we honor God in the way we live, in our attitudes, in our hearts? Do we honor him? Phineas was commended for having a zeal for God's honor that was the same as God. Wow. If I could have had a small percentage of that, I'd be happy. But God wants us to have a a similar zeal, a similar passion for God's honor. And as we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice... As we reflect on the lessons we learned from Phineas, perhaps in some small way, we'll get that little bit closer to having a similar type of zeal in order that God gets more glory and more honor in our lives as individuals, but also in this church as well. We want to see him lifted up. We want to see him honored. We want to see him raised up. And this has much, this story of Phineas has much to say to us about that. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and we're going to respond to this.